All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about the escalation towards war in the Middle East and uh, in Ukraine as well uh, from the Biden White House. Maybe, maybe Taiwan soon, maybe China and Taiwan, the way things are going. So we have a $106 billion uh, package that is all bundled together that Biden wants Congress to approve. Uh, Mitch McConnell, the other day, he said that he's all for it. He's, he sees a connection in all of these conflicts. So he's, he's, uh, he's approving of uh, Biden's strategy to bundle all these conflicts together. Uh, we have an article from Axios, which... Uh, gives the impression that this is a Biden White House that that is in over its head as far as uh, all of these conflicts are concerned. But it doesn't look like they understand or are capable of uh, putting on the brakes to any of these uh, of these conflicts. Uh, the situation in the Middle East is, is very dangerous. Uh, it looks like to me that the neocons are looking looking to widen out this conflict, constantly talking about uh, Iran and Syria, it really gives me the impression that people like Lindsey Graham and McConnell, who said that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are an axis of evil, an axis of evil, we haven't heard that one before. <laughs> you know, it, it, it really seems like, um, like they're, how do I phrase it? They're, they're not so interested in the actual conflict in Israel as much as they are interested in widening out the conflict to bring in Iran and Syria. And obviously Graham, McConnell, Bolton, people like this have been trying to to get at uh, Iran for, for decades now. And uh, out of the 106 billion, 61 of that uh, 106 billion will be going to Ukraine. So the bulk of the money is gonna go to Ukraine. So I think it's a very chaotic uh, picture that we have in front of us. But uh, unfortunately, it looks like the, the momentum is, is just pushing us towards uh, either a big regional conflict or, or perhaps a, a global um, conflict. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I think this is exactly correct. I think it is a, a very dangerous and very frightening situation. And I think that the Axios article is telling us that there are people in the White House, in the, in the National Security Council, in the State Department, across the bureaucracy, who are now beginning to panic because they're beginning to understand, perhaps fully for the first time, that the captain of the ship is sailing it directly towards the iceberg and he's saying full steam ahead. And I think this is, this is the moment when... People are starting to see that. And you're quite correct. So we discussed in a program we did when we talked about Biden's address to the American people that it's absolutely clear that for him the fixation, the obsession remains Ukraine. We've now had the package and it's $61 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, more money for Ukraine. We see that Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are absolutely on board with all of this. We see that the neocons generally are fully on board of, with all of this. What we have is a relatively small group of people at the absolute centre of power who are now in effect in control of the machinery of government 
and the president is one of them. I think this is something we all need to understand. The president is fully signed up to this, who wants to take on everybody at one and the same time. But their primary focus is not Hamas in Gaza. It is this axis of evil that you were talking about. Russia, China, Iran, they're all being lumped together. And we want to confront them all simultaneously at one and the same time. And the one that's most important for them at the moment remains Russia. So this is what they want to do. And we see other people within the government who are becoming appalled. They sense that the whole thing is spiralling out of control. They sense that in the Middle East, the situation especially is spiralling out of control, that there's dangers that the military, uh, the US military dispersed across the Middle East could find themselves in trouble. They see that the Chinese and the Russians are starting to take counteraction. The Russians are deploying MiG-31 fighter jets to the Black Sea with Kinjal hypersonic missiles and giving warnings that if there's an attack on their uh, troops in Syria, they will respond. The Chinese are now deploying warships of their own to the region to counter American presence there. And these people, the sort of more people who are more connected to reality within the government, the US government, they're starting to panic. And we're hearing reports that people in the State Department are also starting to panic, that congressional staffers are beginning to become worried. And we see that there's been this concerted approach to Axios from a whole lot of diplomats and officials, all saying that the situation is becoming more dangerous than it has been well, certainly since the administration took office, that the last week has been chilling. And of course, last week also, we had that article in the Financial Times, which showed, was confirmed that ex, that, that diplom not ex-diplomats at all, serving diplomats are becoming worried also by the way this is all getting out of hand. But all of these words of counsel, of advice, of a, attempts to try to get these people if not to reverse gear, at least to put their foot on the brake, all of this advice is being disregarded. How? How do you get them to put the foot on the brake? I mean, I, I don't see it. I really do. Uh, listening to what Blinken, uh, McConnell, Lindsey Graham, all of these people said over the weekend, listening to, to Biden's speech at the Oval Office, I mean, you know, Blinken is Biden's guy. Yeah. He, he's the Secretary of State. Underneath Blinken, you have the Deputy uh, Secretary of State of the Under, Secretary of State Victoria Nuland. Uh, how, do you, how do you put a stop to this? H how do you pause this? Because it doesn't seem like we're, uh, we're, we're moving in anywhere near that, that type of uh, trajectory. It seems like, like with each passing day, uh, it, it's getting worse and worse. I mean, we're moving quicker and quicker towards, uh, towards a conflict. And, and, and I just want to... I, I want to ask you about this deterrent force uh, that, that the U.S. is deploying in the region that, that Lloyd Austin was talking about over the weekend as well. And, and Lloyd Austin, he expressed his concern about a widening conflict, but he also warned China and Russia and Iran and Hezbollah and, and all of these, these, 
these uh, these countries and these these actors in the region, he warned them, don't you dare uh, do anything to uh, don't don't you dare do anything in in this war in Israel. Don't you dare enter the conflict, or else the United States is going to is going to defend itself. He said. I mean, there's that word again. I mean, what's how do you, how do you put a break to this? Well, the only way you can break, put a break to this is for these people to get what they want, which is a war, certainly a regional war in the Middle East, and for them to suffer a bloody nose. Because that's, that's the only way this can stop. The, I, 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 I don't think that there are that's, any that's, that's a very, I mean, I just, I, 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 have, to, I have to stop. That's, 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 that's terrifying. Absolutely. It is absolutely ter- terrifying, but they are not listening and they will they will get the conflict that they want. I, I, I can't see that there is any political restraint upon them. There are people in Congress who are unhappy about what's happening. And we've seen that there have been moves to this effect in the House of Representatives. I don't think there's enough of them. I think, as I said, there's always money for these things. And I think that there's some kind of financial package will be put together in the end. But I don't think that these people can be stopped. It's the same sense, I have to say, that I had in the run-up to the invasion of Iraq back in 2003. Lots of people coming out saying, you know, this isn't going to work. This is a bad idea. Take a step back. Think before you act. But the people in control are just not listening. They don't want to listen. And if you read the articles of the kind of people that are being written by the kind of people who are close to this group, they are basically saying that anybody who isn't with them is either uh, um, delusional or a wimp. (laughs) It's exactly the kind of rhetoric that we heard back in 2003. Yeah, I think the the parallels between 2000 and 2003 with with today are just I mean it's it's incredible when 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 you think about the the narratives that are being being put out today. I mean they almost they almost take the the, the wording from 2002, 2003 and they and they just they're just repeating it today, yes. you know, um Hamas is al-Qaeda. Yes. Uh the attack on Israel was 9-11. Uh, Axis of evil today, Russia, China, uh, Iran, North Korea, uh, Bush's State of the Union address in 2002, Axis of evil, North Korea, Iraq, and uh, and Iran. Uh, all diplomacy has been completely uh, cut off. Uh, Israel is talking about how Hamas wants to use or has chemical weapons. We, we, we will never forget Colin Powell and his UN speech with with chemical weapons and anthrax and all of that stuff. I mean, they're they're lifting the entire narrative from 2002, 2003, and they're just dropping it into into 2023. But you know, this time around, uh, you have Russia, you have China, you have BRICS, you have a much stronger uh, Arab world and and um, a Middle East region in general. This is. This is going to be a disaster for for the United States. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a disaster for the United States if they continue down this path. 
Well, they are. First of all, I mean, you know, George W. Bush's axis of evil um, was hardly any kind of axis at all. I mean, first of all, I mean, that was wildly overstated rhetoric. Iraq and Iran at that time, I mean, they hated each other. They'd fought a war with each other. They were not allies by any conceivable sense. But Iraq was not a powerful country in the way that Russia, China and Iran today are powerful countries. I mean, you, you cannot compare the axis of evil that George W. Bush was talking about with the global superpowers, the Chinese and the Russians, with their vast fleets, their huge armies, their enormous arrays of nuclear weapons, their sophisticated technologies, with what, um, you know, Iran and Iraq had you know, to show back in 2003. I mean, Iran today is a much more powerful country militarily than it was then. Just, just saying this. So already that is um, um, a completely different situation then from the situation that we see today. And of course, the United States is no, nowhere near as powerful geopolitically or militarily as it was in 2003. 2003, well, we were perhaps starting to move towards the end of the, you know, unipolar moment. It wasn't obvious at the time, but perhaps we were. But the fact was that in 2003, the United States was far and away the most powerful country in the world, to an extent that it isn't now. But the neocons do have something which is working for them, which is that in 2003, there was pushback from Europe. There was Schroeder, and there was Berlusconi, and there was Chirac, all of them opposed to what was going on. And that played an important role. It meant that, you know, uh, Bush and Blair and the neocons ran into opposition um, in Europe, they ran into opposition in the Security Council. They were eventually blocked uh, there. And when they did launch their military operation against Iraq, they did this basically, you know, you remember the coalition of the willing and all of that. And it was hardly any kind of real coalition at all. This time, by contrast, Europe is completely on side. There is no fundamental dissent. There's a few mumbled words in the background from some European governments. Apparently Ireland isn't happy, Spain isn't happy. But overall, the big countries, France, Germany, Italy, Britain, they're all fully on side. So th this makes the situation altogether more dangerous because the internal breaks are not there. They really are not. I mean, you don't have political pressure from Europe. So that gives the neocons more of a runway to move forward with whatever it is that they want to do. But against that, the ultimate resistance that they face is, is very, very much greater. There's also another fundamental difference between then and now, which is that in 2003, the US economy was relatively strong. Again, it wasn't obvious at the time that we were moving towards the 2008 financial crisis, but we were, but it wasn't visible. This time, 
the situation in the in the uh, US and European economy is much more fragile. But in the absence of political breaks, that actually makes the situation more dangerous. Because one gets the sense that if things really do begin to go wrong, then the effect on the economy, the global economy, is going to be much more severe than was the case in 2003. And of course, that in turn might put greater pressure on them and make them even more aggressive. Yeah, I would say in 2002, 2003, the US at least had some avenues of diplomacy as well opened with with various countries around the world. Today, I mean, the Biden White House, they've completely just, just cut off all avenues of diplomacy with so many countries. I mean, so so many nations around the world just don't even want to speak with Biden. We, we saw in the Middle East, they, they shunned him. They didn't want to see him. So, I mean, even the dialogue has, has been cut off um, between uh, the United States and, and so many countries uh, that, that could be actors in this in this wider war. Do you think this is only about neocon ideology? I mean, there's no doubt that the neocons for decades have been wanting to to get at Syria. For decades, they've been wanting to destroy Iran, Russia, Newland, Maidan. We know all about that. So obviously there's this neocon ideology where where they wanted to, uh, they've always wanted to start wars with with these countries, but the, do, you, do you think there's something more to this? Is this is this part of the election cycle? Perhaps the Biden White House, uh, Jake Sullivan's of of the Biden White House have have understood that you know the only way we can get through the election and give Biden any type of chance to uh, to come through this, or the Democrat Party for that matter is is to create you know this big war distraction. Uh, do you think this could be uh, about the, the economics of Europe and of the United States? Once again, a big war is a big distraction away from the economic collapse that has taken place in the collective West, uh, a distraction from uh, de-dollarization, or perhaps even a distraction from the failure of Project Ukraine. Perhaps there are people in the Biden White House who, who are saying, you know, uh, Ukraine has definitely lost this conflict with Russia. There's no chance uh, that Ukraine can can be victorious in this conflict with Russia, but perhaps we can we can widen out the conflict so that uh, either it distracts away from the collapse of Ukraine or uh, it distracts Russia into getting involved in this region and it gives Ukraine a, a little bit of hope. Uh, I mean, outside of the neocon ideology, yeah, what else do you see going on here? I think there is a great deal of urgency now. There is urgency because the events are driving that urgency. I mean, there was that attack by Hamas. It was a violent one. It did result in civilians being targeted and killed. There was a taking of hostages. And we must always remember that that attack would have created a crisis of some kind, regardless of who was running things in the White House. If it was the most level-headed president you know, that exists, we would still be in a crisis today. It would be a different kind of crisis, but events are to some extent creating creating an urgency because, of course, the administration does need to produce some kind of result for the election, as you say. But I think that there is 
an overriding, much greater, much deeper urgency. And I'm afraid it is linked to ideology, which is, I think, that with the failure of Project Ukraine, with the problems in the US economy, with the even greater problems in Europe, the neocons are starting to worry that they're running out of road, that there's a real risk that Donald Trump will win the election next year, that there's a real risk that the political situation in the United States is shifting against them, and perhaps conclusively so, that um, the economics are not looking at all favourable. I should say, you know, people are talking about the growth rates that the United States has achieved over the last, um, you know, year or so that is growing much faster than Europe. Well, we've already discussed how that growth rate is being used, achieved by running a huge budget deficit. And we already see that the markets are getting nervous about this. Yields on bonds are spiking. That is what is probably, more than anything else now, pulling up interest rates. And what people are ignoring is that even as the US economy appears to be gaining speed all the time, industrial output in the United States year on year is falling. So this is a mirage. So they sense this. They sense that things are not working out, that they're not winning the economic war with the Chinese that they wanted to win, that they're not winning the technological war with the Chinese that they were looking to win. That, you know, China has been able to produce you know, super fast chips and all of that. So they sense that they're running out of road. This is their last big chance to achieve their objective, to break the uh, axis of evil as they see it, to reassert American uh, strategic dominance, to move forward with the Neocon project. And the result is that they're putting their foot on the accelerator because that's what these people do. And of course, you have the president who comes along. He's sent off to the Middle East. He talks the talk of restraint until he arrives in Washington. And you see the mask falls in that address he delivered to the American people. And we see in action what the... Um, what, what the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, said directly to his face. You say one thing, you do the opposite, and we see that nobody trusts him. Nobody across the Middle East trusts him. The Egyptians don't want to talk to him. The Jordanians don't want to talk to him. The Saudis don't want to talk to him because they know that whatever they think they have agreed with Biden isn't going to stick. So this is the disastrous situation we are in. It's not a case of people having no reverse gear. It's not a case of people not willing to put on the brake. It is a case of people who want to put on the accelerator because this is their last chance, or so they think. Yeah, a final question um, going off of the, the fact that Biden can't be trusted. Uh, I think about the attackums that the Biden White House, you know, constantly said that they're not going to to send the tacoms to Ukraine. And they sent the tacoms. And I think to myself, you know, you have the Biden White House now and Lloyd Austin saying that all of this military hardware and these warships that are deployed to the Mediterranean, 
they're a force for deterrence. They're, they're, they're not an offensive force. They're there to send a warning to Iran and Hezbollah. Don't you dare get involved in this war. Because here we are. I don't trust the Biden White House. I'm starting to think that the delays that we constantly see, you know, we can, things can't start because of the ground operation. Things can't start until the hostages are released. Uh, all this military hardware from the United States is descending onto, onto the Mediterranean. A lot of forces are being deployed to Cyprus as well. You know, I'm starting to, to believe that this is, once again, another Biden trick, a Biden lie, in, in much the same way that the attackums and all the weapons that, that they would say are not going to Ukraine or they're going to be sent to Ukraine in three months, but they're already in Ukraine. I mean, I'm starting to believe that that this is, once again, a, a deception from the Biden White House where they say this is a deterrent force, but eventually this this force that's that's in the region is going to launch an attack on on some country or someone, some something. I mean, do you do you get that sense? Absolutely. Can I just say? I mean, the delay. It seems to me, the probable reason for it. I've come to the conclusion is because the the U.S. and it is the U.S. and to some extent Israel, of course, also need time to deploy their military assets. They need time to send their warships to the region. They need time to deploy their troops. They need time to deploy the aircraft that they're sending there. So that's what it's all about. And of course, again, you have, um, you know, the talk about um, the uh, weapons, you know, that, uh, 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 that, you know, it's all not, it's all deterrence. It's not intended to be an offensive. Well, of course, we've been there again. We've again been there all, you know, before. I mean, 2003, the invasion of Iraq was justified on the basis of defense. We need to defend ourselves against the threat from Iraq, which is the WMD threat. So that's what they always say. They always, they always justify their offensive moves by pretending that they're acting on the defensive. Because of course, that's what they need to do politically in order to win over people in the United States. But their actions tell a completely different story. There's no evidence that any of the great powers in the region, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, are looking to attack the United States. There's no real sign that they're looking to attack even Israel, actually. Why would they? But the United States is deploying forces to the Middle East, which, to be clear, look much more powerful than would be justified by just an act of deterrence. And this is why people in the government, the US government, are becoming spooked out because they're seeing all these huge deployments. They're seeing the counter deployments that the Chinese and the Russians are making. They're getting the sense that we're moving towards an all out regional conflict in the Middle East, which looks potentially as if it could suck in the great powers. It looks as if the great powers, the other great powers, the Chinese and the Russians, are themselves beginning to become increasingly concerned about the situation. We saw Putin give his warning. Remember, his warning. Lloyd Austin is also, of course, giving his warning. But um, you, when people warn each other, which is what's happening, that is already a very bad sign. And some people in the government, in the US government, are freaking out. But 
They can't communicate their concern either directly to the American people because they are not in charge or to the people who are in charge because those people are not listening. Okay, uh, we'll wrap it up there. I think we're heading towards towards a war. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I hope I'm completely wrong, but well, the, I actions, the actions match, like you said, yeah. a build-up to something a build up. big. Yeah. And I'm afraid that one day Biden's just going to to address the American people and say we've launched attacks against X, Y, and Z in, in much the same ways that, that we woke up one morning and the news came out that attackums were being launched in, in, in Russia. That, that's, that's what worries me. Well, exactly. And if I can just return to the attackums, because that is another story again, by the way, because there's now been a very interesting article by Mark Galliotti, who is a very well-established, very well-known uh, military, uh, military analyst and writer here. He's very well connected with the uh, British authorities, with the British Defence Ministry. He's somebody to take extremely seriously. And I don't know where he gets his information from, but I suspect he gets his information from high-level high sources. He says that 18, up to 18 missiles might have been launched at one and the same time. So this wasn't just sending a few attackers missiles quietly to Ukraine. It was, it was actually a massive military operation that was carried out. 18 missiles apparently launched at one and the same time against Russian air bases. Now, he also says or suggests that he failed, that the Russians managed to shoot down 15 out of those 18, and only three got through, and they only did a limited amount of damage. But put that aside, focus on the key point that he's making, that this was intended to be a massive missile strike. It miscarried, but the intention was to do something very big. It's, it's, it's incredible the amount of restraint from uh, from the Putin uh, government. I mean, it really is. I mean, 18 missiles, 18 attackums. Well, again, that is... We don't what... have that on the other side, by the way. No, we don't have no. that restraint on the other side. No, of course not. Well, that that is what Mark Galliotti says. Now, again, I stress, I don't know where he's getting his information from, but I've always got the assumption that he is a well-informed... Person, and when I say well-informed, well-informed not in the way that you and I are well-informed. You know, we read what we, you know, what's there in the open media. We look at what governments say. I mean that he's well-informed because he's able to talk to people whom we do not have access to. So when he says that up to eighteen of these missiles were launched at one and the same time, I take that very seriously. Now, if that is true, as I said, I repeat again. That was a big attack a, by, by the standards of the conflict in Ukraine, a massive attack. And we're getting huge numbers of missiles being launched at the Russians in the Black Sea. Again, it's not obvious to people that this is happening because it seems that the great majority of these missiles are being shot down 
but there is clearly an escalation. And then there is something else again. Now, this is all about the conflict in Ukraine at the moment. Now, again, I don't know whether or not this is true, but the Russians are reporting dozens of Ukrainian fighter jets being shot down. I mean, there's certainly been an enormous escalation in Russian claims about, you know, MiG-29 fighters and other Ukrainian aircraft being shot down. And again, I asked, what has happened? Is it because Russian tactics have become much more aggressive? Or could it be that alongside all these missile attacks, Ukraine has been pressed to launch some kind of aerial offensive, which is also miscarrying. But if it is the second, you again see an escalation there. And that is being matched with this huge escalation that we're seeing in the Middle East. Yeah, but a final question. How, how, how are these being utilized by the neocons to, to, to get a wide war? I mean, you know, McConnell said that everything's connected. That's why he's for the 106 billion uh, aid package. Says that it's all connected. I mean, is, is this what they're looking to do? Are they looking to to coordinate two conflicts to erupt at the same time? And is this uptick in uh, in attacks towards uh, towards Russia? Does this mean that NATO is getting more actively involved? Because well, I don't I don't know if Ukraine has the capability to. No, Ukraine does not have this, the this capability type of, of escalation. No, Ukraine does not have the capabilities. In fact, we have seen over the last couple of days an uptick uh, in Ukrainian attacks on various parts of the front line. But they don't seem to be breaking through or achieving anything. And these missile strikes don't seem to be achieving what they were expected to. And if there is an attempt to deploy more fighter jets, um, you know, Ukrainian fighter jets, getting them to attack, that isn't working either because... If you believe the Russians, then they're being shot down instead. But clearly, I would say that there is an attempt to distract the Russians by increasing the pressure in Ukraine whilst this build-up in the Middle East is happening. That would be the logical thing behind it. And, of course, we have Mitch McConnell talking in that way. We've had Lindsey Graham, by the way, on a tour in the Middle East. He met, he had, he met MBS incidentally. So, you know, one wonders what he's up to. And, you know, all of these people are fanning out um, across the Middle East. They're pulling all the wires. By the way, when Mitch McConnell says that everything is connected, he is, of course, correct. Everything is connected. The people who are connecting all these conflicts are the neocons. They are actually going out and taking on everybody at one and the same time. And by the way, the other person who once said that everything is connected is Lenin. So there you go. That, that is the paradox of this, that, you know, Mitch McConnell, the neocon, is perhaps unaware of the fact that he is repeating the same words that Lenin once used. And it's not so surprising given that ultimately it seems to me that, you know, much as Lenin was, Lenin intended back in the, 19, you know, back in 1917 and thereafter to spread his vision of the world revolution across the world, the neocons, they're not that different in some respects. They also want to spread their project across the world. So for them, everything is connected. 
Well, on that note, we'll uh, we'll end the video. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and X. And go to the Duran shop. Twenty percent off. Use the code the Duran twenty. Take care. <laughs>